I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today has earned every job opportunity he has gotten. One of 17 children playing four sports in high school and not having hot water until he was 16, Tubby Smith was the first black head coach at both the University of Georgia and Kentucky. He won the national championship and was named the AP College Coach of the Year in 2003. In addition, he and his wife Donna have created foundations across his various coaching stints. He's been the head coach at seven Division I universities, and he has returned to his alma mater, High Point University, and will open one of the most spectacular arenas this coming season. We welcome our guest, Coach Tubby Smith. Welcome, friends. Well, Coach, your career, your personality, your ability to build relationships and give back to the community is unparalleled. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Talk about it. I mean, growing up in a family of 17, how do you manage that? I mean, how do you, who had the personality that's allowed you to be this enthusiastic and to give back to communities like you and, and Donna have done? Well, I was very blessed. I grew up in a household that had parents, you know, mom and dad were, was always, were always there. Not just them, but you had my grandmother lived with us after having a stroke for years. And we actually had my cousin, who my dad, my mother's sister's daughter, who my dad helped raise. So we had about not just the 17 kids, but then you had my mom and dad. That's 19. My grandmother is 20, and Angela, my cousin, is 21. But, wow. but that's what, in, in a household in Southern Maryland, on a farm, and my dad was, you know, ex-military man, you know, wounded in World War II in 1943 with a piece of shrapnel or lead went through his leg. And, but he always talked about how he was, he was one of the fortunate in his, in his command, in his, uh, in his unit, because it took 80% casualty. But again, growing up there, my mom, Parthenia Smith and Guffrey Smith, they, you know, believe good Christian people taught us that going to Sunday school and, and giving. I remember my dad all the time would uh, do for others because he was one of the African-American men, black men in the neighborhood or in the area that had a tractor, had a plow, had a disc had a cultivator and we had a saw in the back of the truck so we could go saw wood. We could, you know, all the things that, that you take for granted nowadays, people wanted a garden planted. I remember saying, Tubby, take that tract up there and plow it. And my mom was, boy, she said, Guffrey, 
You know they're not going to pay you. We're not, not going to pay that boy. So that's not what it's about, Paul. They if they wouldn't ask if they didn't need it done. When people ask you for help, it's because they need help. He just believed in, in giving back. And the more you give, and I, I really believe this over the years, every time I've donated to charities, whether it was my time, whether it was my financially, I tell players and tell people they'll talk. It'll come back to you. And you don't even realize how much is coming back. It, twice. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. I, I remember when I first became a coach and you're going to pick players up around the, the county to maybe go in a, just for them to get to practice or take them to summer jobs at five o'clock in the morning to the, to the tobacco fields or wherever they were working at the time. I remember my wife would say, tell me why you, I said, because they need it. You know, these kids are, You've, I've been in their homes. I see what they've had to deal with. And those are the kind of things. That, that's what it shaped me. So so it goes back to just family. You grew up in this large family. Your given name's Orlando. So how does Tubby come about? <laughs> that's a good question. Well, people ask me those, those very questions many times about growing up with 16 other siblings or 18 other siblings. And then uh, how did I get the nickname? Obviously, my mom couldn't remember names lots of times <laughs> with so many kids. So uh, she might babble out something because she's just so frustrated with so many kids being around. And, you know, same mom and dad, and all 17 of us. So it would be on Saturday night is when you, when you actually took a bath. You, know, you didn't have running water. I didn't have indoor plumbing or running water until I was 16 years old. So for, for 16 years, you know, you know, you wash in a basin on the week, on the weekdays, you know, before school or, and then you wash up before you went to bed. Or, and then that was about it, unless I got in the shower at school. And when I got in the tub on Saturday night, and usually it's the oldest to the youngest. Mm -hmm. that, so my oldest brother, Smitty, who was a teacher and became a principal, assistant superintendent of schools in Calvert County, Maryland. You have to understand, he was gone before I was, you know, when I was 10, he was 20. So he was long gone out the house. He was the oldest boy, and there, there were four girls between my oldest brother and me. So on Saturday nights, you know, we had to haul water. That was wash day. <laughs> so you wash clothes. You, you know, you did all the weather was washing laundry. And you had to heat the water. You imagine during the winter months, you had to heat the water on a, on the stove before right. you could get it because you couldn't get in cold water. And when it was my turn to get in, I didn't want to get out. Huh. I could, I, then, you know, the water would be so dirty and so dark, I could actually hide in the tub. <laughs> so you, when you're a small kid, yeah. you know, I could hold my breath. I think it had a lot to do with my ability as an athlete to run all day. I mean, I could run. I was on the cross-country team, ran the mile, you know, ran the 400 meters. It was just 400-yard dash at the time, 400. It was 440 at the time. So when I would get in there, my mom said, where's Tubby? And she would she said, boy, you're nothing but a tub. You love the tub, don't you? So the name Tubby, but I was a little heavy too. So <laughs> I, I told my mom when I got the job in Kentucky, you know, the Washington Post and James Brown from CBS was coming down to interview me because I, and I said, mom, look, don't tell them I was fat. Okay, just tell them that I got the name Tubby. Because I was in the tub, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
So how do sports happen? Big family like that, sometimes they're going to make you work as opposed to allow you to play to play a sport. But you've just described all these different activities that your parents allowed you to participate in. You know, we as a family, we would play dodgeball and kickball and play softball. I grew up playing softball because pretty much in the, in, in the, black, in the black community, you had, you had a chance to play softball. It was an easy sport to play. You didn't have to have a whole lot, lot of equipment. You could stand behind the back. All he had to have was a mask, maybe. And you, but it was it was great. I, mean, I had a lot of fun. I didn't get into organized sports until I was in the ninth grade. Till high school. Till high school. It was at George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver at the time was, was grade, the all-black school, first grade through 12th grade. Now, it used to be all called Jobbersville at first. Then they, then they added on to it and became George Washington Carver. So in the ninth grade, Cecil Short, he just passed away two years ago, was, eight, was a ninth grade math teacher. And he saw me playing basketball. He's also the JV basketball coach. Mm-hmm. And he says to me, he says, uh, Tubby, you ought to come. You're coming out for the team. And I said, I'd love to, but I've got to do chores on the farm. My dad was a school bus contractor, a school bus driver. Mm-hmm. He said, well, you, I'm going to talk to your dad. I said, well, I wish you would <laughs> let me come out for the team. So that afternoon, he showed up at the bus. I'm on the bus. My dad's sitting behind the driver's behind the wheel. He said, Mr. Smith, can I talk to you? My dad gets off the bus. He gets back on the bus. He said, boy. So he's, he's driving. I used to sit behind my dad, pretend I'm driving. And he was, he'd look over the mirror. He goes, are you any good at basketball? He said, I'm, I said, well, I said, Mr. Short thinks I am. And he says, you want to play? You want to play that basketball? I said, yes, sir. He goes, because, you know, he wasn't a very, he right. wasn't in athletics. He had the bad leg. He just, so he, well, you know, if you do, if I let you do it, you have to finish, you have to do your chore. You're not getting out of your, your work at home. Because, boy, I, we need, you're still going to have to feed the hogs, feed the chickens, haul water, cut wood. You got to do all the chores and play, by, and, and play sports if you want. I said, he said, well, can you do that? I said, yes, sir. That's how I got involved in athletics. And from that day, in 1965, when Cecil Short came to the school bus, I knew I was going to teach and coach from that day. You knew that? I knew at that moment that this man took an interest in me, came to, did what he said he was going to do, told, asked my dad if I could play basketball. He said yes. And now I've become an all, you know, all county, all state player in the state of Maryland. That four years later. But during this time, I leave him after that first year. In fact, I only played with him. I only played JV basketball for half a year. They moved me up to varsity halfway through the season. Isn't so now, somebody like that can have an impact on your life early and it carries with you. I mean, my, my sixth grade coach, same thing. We just buried him a year ago and we're doing all these yeah. tributes to him and so forth. I mean, he was the guy. I mean, I Isn't that amazing? Sixth grade. Yeah. 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 Huh. That, that's the impact. That's why I got into business because of the impact that he had on me and shaping my life from that point. And I'm the only Smith from the Smith family that got an athletic scholarship. Well, actually, my youngest, one of my younger brother played football in college at Concord. So he had a scholarship there. But, but the rest of us, you know, I'm the only one that, that really earned a full time athletic scholarship. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, here you are, you go to High Point, you end up being all conference your senior year, you start for four years, you get into coaching. 
high school coach, you go back to your school, uh, then you become an assistant coach, uh, and then the head coaching stuff. What, what coaches, before you became a head coach, who really influenced you from a coaching perspective? I, I remember all the coaches I've had, you know, especially I mentioned the ninth grade, but, but I think over the years when we consolidated schools and integration took place and they made George Washington Carver a middle school after I was, I was mentioning that. And then, so the 10th grade guy by the name of Gene Wood, who's a white coach. He's, he's, and he was coaching at the, at the high school, Great Mills high school. So now I go out for football and I remember Lou Long had a major impact because now I'm, I've been influenced by Cecil Short and Mr. Brown who coached me as a varsity player. Now, and they were all black coaches, but now I get the great mills. And, you know, it's a predominant white school, all white school, except the black kids that moved from, that were bust from George Washington Carver there. Now they wanted the best athletes to come out for football. And I never played football. Mm-hmm. It was in the 10th grade. So I, I get to start at wide receiver and defensive back for two years and had and loved playing. Gene Woods, who was also the basketball coach, he said, Tubby, you know, you were hurt pretty bad, you know, after your junior year, you know, after your sophomore year, so you were late coming out for basketball. You need to get, you need to concentrate on basketball. So he had a major impact. In fact, he still comes to games here at High Point for Maryland. <laughs> yeah, I'm staying, I've stayed in touch with every coach I ever had. Then, then I get a job as a high school coach back at my alma mater. And so I'm working alongside, well, Gene Woods is now no longer coaching. He's into he was in woodwork and he had his own business and stuff. Uh, but I got a chance to see him on a regular basis back in Southern Maryland at Green Hills High School. Now I come to North Carolina, coach at our high school. But then guys like J.D. Barnett mm-hmm. hired me here at yeah. High Point. I mean, well, he hired me at VCU, but he coached me at High Point for a year at High Point. Yep. And he becomes an outstanding coach at the college level. And says, Tubby, you ever thought about getting in college coach? And I was, that was my sixth year, started my seventh year in high school coaching at Hope County High School, Rayford. And he was recruiting a young man by the name of Harold Thompson. We ended up going to NC State. And he hit, I didn't even, we had lost contact with each other for years, for about three or four years, four years. He sees that I'm doing a good job as a coach. So you ought to get into college coach. So I joined him at VCU. But I have a lot of guys, J.D. Barnett at VCU, Kevin Eastman, who later became an assistant coach with the Boston Celtics with, with Doc Rivers, and they won an NBA championship. Uh, he was influential. Guys like George Felton, who's still with the San Antonio Spurs. I worked for him as assistant coach at South Carolina. I think one of the most influential people in my lives was probably C.M. Newton, okay, who hired me at Kentucky. He was the athletic director. Yeah, you had been an assistant coach there, so he knew you from That's right. time as an assistant coach. As Rick, well, under Rick Patino, Right. From right. 89 to 91. And we were on probation, so no one really knew that I was actually at Kentucky for two years because we couldn't, we yeah. were on probation. But then C.M. Newton saw something in me and uh, helped me get my first head coaching job at Tulsa. You know, I, I really missed him because he was, he was a mentor of mine. He saw us play. Not me play, but I was assistant coach at South Carolina when we beat his great Vanderbilt team. Mm-hmm. They were ranked in the top ten with Will Purdue, Barry Goheen, right. 
Yeah, I never arrived. Uh, Barry, they had a heck. They were like ranked eighth and ninth in the country, and we upset them in the Sugar Bowl. And the remark that George Felton made at the press conference, you know, at the after the game, you know, CM Newton said, "Boy, your defense was outstanding." He said, "Well, you need to talk to Tubby Smith. He's our defensive coach." And those kind of things stuck in CM Newton's head as well. And then I left South Carolina and went to Kentucky as assistant coach. Yeah, so, I mean, when you talk about your philosophy, uh, defensively, offensively, I mean, as you, as you go through your years of coaching and the different uh, opportunities you've had and, and influences, how have you adjusted the way you've coached defense, uh, worked with your players? How have you seen the athletes change from back then? Because you and I were coaching. Well, back then. Well, you and I have talked about that a few times. <laughs> it's uh, I don't know that the game has passed us by because the fundamentals are the same no matter what. You know, you still have to be able to catch and pass and dribble and do the basic fundamentals and shoot the ball. So you've got to – I think the attention span of the student-athlete and players are different. You know, we were disciplined athletes that the you know, coach told you to do it over and over and over again. Well, you're going to do it that way. Uh, in today's time, it's you know, kids get bored, you know, and they want to move on. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, how they were raised and how they were coached. In we didn't have AAU back then. I didn't. Even, I don't think I ever played summer basketball. Right. And now it's year round. Right. Huh? You, you played three sports or four sports. That's it. I played basketball, football, baseball, ran track. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. And, and if you evolved into a, a good athlete. But my philosophy has always been to uh, build a family because I know how much love and discipline and family was important. And I think we've tried to do that. And the pandemic has hurt us this, this last year and a half, you know, because we really haven't done anything with our team as a family. Right. Other than travel on a bus to games. And, right. I mean, you couldn't you, even you eat together. Take out food and all that stuff. Yeah, you couldn't even eat together. It was the most bizarre thing thing I've ever experienced in my 69 years of living. So it's... Uh, You're almost going to be 70 here in June. <laughs> I know. I know. So it's not... not you're, gonna, it, you're, you're catching me here. Yeah. <laughs> I'll open it up. Well, yeah. I'll, well, you say catching, you, you, it makes it sound like there's a virus out there or something. No. Huh. There is a... This guy said, uh, you know, you, we both have that disease of OA. I said, what's that? It's old age. <laughs> right, right, right. But love, family, and discipline. I think those have been the ingredients in my philosophy in everywhere I've been. So just to make sure that hey, you players know that you care about them, that we love them. I, mean, I heard a coach tell say one time, he's, I don't I don't think I've ever coached a, a kid that I didn't love. But there's some I didn't like, you know, what they did. Right. You know what I mean? Right. What they, the way they act, the way they, you know, have to have this. I don't like it when you don't. My dad, I mean, he would say to me, you know, he was the most disciplinarian I've ever been around. And he would, I mean, he didn't raise his voice. He, he just had that look. He'd look over his glasses. Or he, he would say, that's one time, son. You could tell. Oh, yes. You can. Yeah. I mean, the worst beatings I ever got were my parents, my mom and dad. I mean, they didn't, you know, they spared a rod. They, they. They would, and that's part of the life problem today with kids. Their lack of discipline. I mean, there's no repercussions. 
no repercussion for what they've, no consequences. Even now, you know, if a kid doesn't run the car, you, if he's outside of the season, you can't be running him. You can't hardly punish him. Hey, listen, when I was at Michigan coaching for, we had the Dawn Patrol. And guys, right. and guys that were in trouble, Les Miles uh, right. was, was playing on our team. He bit a guy's ear off in a bar. Bo found that out. And for two months, six o'clock in the morning, he was on Dawn Patrol. And each one of us as a coach had to rotate that six, six o'clock spot so that right. we'd uh, have, uh, have less be running his mile. Well, have you ever interviewed any of my former players from back in Tulsa days? Yeah. In high school? I hope they don't tell you some of the things that we, you know, this, the actions that we had to take. I mean, I, I'd have kids up at 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock, doing barrel rolls on the football field. Right. Until they threw up. I mean, yeah. I hate to say it, but in this day and time, you you couldn't do that. No, hey. I'd, I, run, I'd, run, I'd run guys until they most, you know, just. I did that in my first phys ed class I ever had. The guys, the, the tech guys skipped out on lunch, and I had them all back in there doing, doing up-downs for an hour. Yeah. And the yeah. superintendent came in. I told him to get out. And the kids never missed after that. But, That's I mean, right. today, if you tried to do that, I mean, you'd be, uh, you'd be, you'd be fired. You'd be fired. You'd have letters to the president. <laughs> and not only would you be fired, you'd probably be brought up on charges. If yeah. you, I mean, you know, I've never touched a kid, grabbed a kid, but I've thrown things. I've done. And we've all, in, in, not necessarily at them, but in, in frustration. I, I mean, I played for a high school coach that used to bring rotten tomatoes and rotten eggs to football practice. To football practice. You ever heard of that? No. He would put, so, so you didn't get in your stance properly. He'd throw it at you? Kick in, he'd kick you in the butt. And yep. then if you, he'd grab your helmet and rip your helmet off yep. and crack a rotten egg in your helmet. Wow. You're a rotten SOB. Or he put a rotten egg in your, in your jersey. We're in August in the heat of the summer, in the summer and doing you know, pre, uh, what do you call, I guess, OTAs now, you know, workouts, yep. whatever, training, you know, yep. it'd be like a week. And so yep. we go and stay there. This was my first experience. We're sitting on cots. This is a true story. And the first time I played football, they had boot camp. And you come in on like a Sunday afternoon. And he give you the, you know, give a lecture. They pass out your gear, your helmet, your shoulder pads, your, your, your cleats and everything, and, and your girdle. And so you'd have to. And we wore like, the exact replica of the Green Bay Packers. Okay. Green and gold. That was when they were big back in 65. Yeah, they were winning championships. Well, Super Bowls. But, and he said, this helmet is your lifeline. You know, I don't want to hear a helmet hit the floor tonight. You wear this helmet. So I thought he literally meant sleep in the helmet. So I buckled the helmet on that night slept with you. So I got up the next morning. I could barely turn my neck. So he said, what's wrong with you, boy? What's wrong with your neck? Well, I didn't want my helmet to fall on the floor that night. We, we slept on the basketball court, 120 kids. We were, in, we were in military cots, and they had to keep your helmet in your bed, sleep with it. And I thought he meant sleep with it on. <laughs> but he that's the kind of stuff he, he'd, he'd make you. It was put your bull in the ring. So, so the discipline part, it was no problem for me. I was one of the few that hung it out, that stuck it out. Yeah. Very few guys stuck it out, man. When I've talked to Jay Wright and Dana Altman and Shaka and thinking about the trends in college basketball in terms of where it's going, what do you see uh, the direction that the game is going? The name, image, and likeness, and the things that we're at Kara, you know, the thing, you know, you know players actually sign off on the practice time. 
20 hours a week. So if you got a disgruntled player or a player that's, that is looking for a way out, he can go to compliance and say this or that. I mean, there are kids and you, you're, you're almost afraid. In fact, a kid can say, okay, coach, I want you to work me out and volunteer. And it's, and you have to be careful there because now they'll think, or it might be perceived that you're working overtime or that you're mm-hmm. beyond the 20 hour week. And I, I, what I'm saying to people is just, it's changed because you used to be able to, no one's going to hurt anyone, but, for instance, like me, I wanted to play all the time. Yeah. I mean, if I could have had a coach around me 24-7, that would be the best thing for me. I hear you. I mean, I, I, I wanted it and I loved it. And I, I knew you want more. The, the best athletes, they want more instruction. They want more uh, discipline. They want to be pushed. They don't want to be abused. But they, they, and so I see a problem with, uh, with that. that, that Kids think they can make it, especially the guys that maybe played AAU basketball and they've kind of got away with doing things. Mm-hmm. They weren't disciplined for actions. That So when we get to them, when we get these players, now all of a sudden you're going, Coach, you're going to run me for what? You're going to you – know, they, they just don't understand. Accountability. Accountability. They just don't – we try to help them by setting goals, and I'm sure that your son, John Michael, will tell you when we sit down with one on one, we talk about their academic goals for the semester, their basketball goals. And we don't talk about starting or this. We talk about, okay, uh, you need to improve your field goal percentage. You know, you need to deflections. You only had so many deflections last, last year. You, want, you should lead us in deflections this year. You should lead us in rebounding. You should lead us in free throw shooting. And I tell all the, I tell them all the time, we've got about 10 different teams that you can be a part of. You can be a part of all defensive team, our zone team, our man-to-man team. So my philosophy is adapting to who you have, the personnel. And one of the things I like take a lot of pride in, in my philosophy in our motion office, that we can make, we can adapt to suit the personnel that we have. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to do that everywhere I've been. I and mean, I'm always one of those guys. That, and that's why whenever I've taken over a program, we've been able to to make that change or get or turn the program around. No doubt. And yeah. a lot of it has to do with my willingness to change, to adapt to it. So you ask me where it's going. I think coaches have to be a lot more uh, malleable. You know, you have to be able to adapt it to the times, you know, three point shooting. I've never, you know, we just, unfortunately we didn't have the, I mean, your son's our best three point shooter. He's getting in the game. But right now, you know, we still, and I've been telling him one of the things, look, we've got to get you more involved defensively you know he's willing to take all the do all the tough things you know he, he break, makes very little mistakes but again you've got to find the, the group of guys that are willing to screen for one another see what I mean yeah absolutely somebody pass the ball so getting past that how can I say that mentality of, of one-on-one basketball uh, may be the toughest thing that we haven't have to deal with in college athletics today. Well, you know, this coming season, you get an opportunity to move into this arena that you've donated and your names. I mean, how great a feeling can that be to have grown up, graduated from High Point, coaching the team and going to open this arena that may be as nice as any in the country? I mean, uh, with your name on it, I mean, 
and the yeah. donation and how you just continue to give back. I mean, Toby, that, well, that's just got to be well, a tremendous feeling. Well, if we don't start winning some more games, my name will be on the freaking urinal <laughs> in the bathroom somewhere. But no, uh, no, I'm really honored that 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 Doc Cobain, Nito Cobain, our president, he's oh, yeah, such sure. a visionary. You know, he's yeah. just he's he's amazing. You know, he was in school with me, and I really didn't know him. He was a couple of years ahead of me here at High Point. Uh, at the time, it was High Point College. But to see the growth and to see where we're heading with this program, especially with the new facility coming online, that we'll have a hotel and a, a, a convention center attached to it, C4500, be, there's nothing like it in the country. I'm going to tell you right now, there's not, a, there's not going to be another school that can showcase arena like we will next year and i'm so grateful and thankful that hope that god willing that i'll still be around to, uh, yeah i just want to coach in it one year anyway and you know and then i told dr Cobain, do what he want with me then <laughs> but uh but we, we're gonna make this home we here in this high point area it's a great region a great area to live and raise a family so uh, but it, it's going to be spectacular and we, we've been able to retain you know, the players that we had, our best player, John Michael Hughes. Right. I mean, John Michael Wright, yeah. who uh, I get those two guys confused lots of times in practice. They probably tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they call one J, what? JM. JM. And then the other one I call John. I just, you know, I, I, didn't, I really didn't like nicknames because I tried to get rid of the name Tubby. I did. I tried to get rid of the nickname Tubby, but it stuck because I thought it was, you know, it's it, because it, when I go, because people say, I thought you were heavy. Well, I go on a recruiting trip, I mean, and I might be talking to a grandparent or someone, and I show up at the door, and they say, you don't look tubby at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried to get rid of it, but I couldn't. Uh, that nickname. So I, I try to call kids by their full name. Yes. I do. But all the kids have nicknames for others. I don't know how we got on that subject. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's just so interesting from the first time that Beeline got us in, Coach Beeline got us introduced and I met you. I mean, just your presence and, and your commitment to the student athlete was so impressive. And um, the opportunity to have my son play for you and uh, what you've been able to do and, and the fact you hosted me at this unbelievable golf course. And, uh, <laughs> it feels my hey, butt. I mean, no, no. Hey, you are unbelievable. Now, hey, listen, audience needs to know is that you have a new nickname, and that nickname's The Fugitive because of your swing, that <laughs> one arm. We remember when you and I talked, and most of yeah. our audience probably won't know who The Fugitive was. It was, it was David Jansen, and he was on a show where he, where he had been accused of killing his wife and that the one-armed bandit was the person he was on the lookout for. And yeah. when you swing that club and let go with that right hand, you hit the ball tremendous. I, I couldn't believe how far and straight you could hit that ball with the left arm. Well, you know, I was in a fundraiser this weekend out in, in uh, Las Vegas, you know, for, for Lon Kruger and was coaches versus cancer. He raised about a million dollars for it. I was hitting the ball. I can usually keep it straighter when I hit with one arm. If I can release it. The fugitive. <laughs> that's a good name, the fugitive. Well, no, but you're right. People wouldn't know, but that series ran for, it was one of the longest running series. Without question. It was one that my parents let me watch. They now, I know. Watch it can, TV, but we, we watched the fugitive. He was always right there in his grasp and he would slip right. away that, that he finally caught that killer. But you know, they made the movie. Yes. With, uh, who was it in that? Oh, uh, the great actor. I don't oh, remember who the actor was. He played in Star Trek, Star, I mean, Star Wars. 
Ford. Harrison yeah. Ford. Yes, Harrison Ford. Great. So I appreciate you taking time. Uh, appreciate you sharing your story with our audience. Appreciate uh, it. Thanks for being on. All appreciate right. you.